G'day, and welcome to episode 114 of the Pack Heavy Podcast. My name is Hayden Thompson, and today, Sheena Russell, who is the founder and CEO of Made With Local, joins us to chat about Sheena's 11-year journey of the business and some of the fundamental lessons that she's learned along the way that have ultimately shaped the business into what it is today. Now, during the episode, among many things, we touch on the importance of storytelling and creating a strong brand and community around the business and the company's mission, and Sheena's vision for the future of Made With Local, which includes some plans for some new product lines and an expanded distribution network. It was a great conversation with Sheena. There was a lot packed into this episode, so I'm really excited to bring it all to you today. But before we jump into the conversation with Sheena, as I mentioned last week, a rating or review really goes a long way to help elevate the podcast so that others can find it. So if you do have a spare moment, I'd love to see some honest feedback out there. And for those of you who are new to the show, thanks for taking the time to drop in. And I guess the best place to start is to let you know that as well as chatting with entrepreneurs on this show, I also work for a packaging company located in BC, Canada called Foodpack, where we help food-based CBG companies and processors with their packaging and food packaging equipment. Now, Foodpack, we specialize in three specific areas. And the first one I like to start with is our stock vacuum bags and pouches. And you could think of this as a bit of a turnkey solution to getting to market. Uh, we also do custom printed bags and films, which is the part of the business that I absolutely love and what I think I do best. And we also have packaging equipment like Cipramac vacuum chamber machines, Plexpack band sealers and repack tray sealers, thermoformers and flow wrappers. So if you're looking to get into the market, for the first time or would like me to assess your existing packaging program definitely scroll on down to the show notes and check out the food pack website and if it looks like everything that you're looking for you can shoot me an email at hayden at the and we can go from there so that's about it from me today let's get on with it episode 114 with sheena russell sheena welcome to the show thanks so much for having me it's a pleasure. I'm really excited to have this conversation today. I uh, I came across you on LinkedIn. Obviously, I saw your brand and uh, read a little bit about your business. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to have Sheena on the show. And here you are. Here I am. Cool. <laughs> and I'm familiar with your product as well. I've actually got one of your packages here. It's with the background oh, effect. That's not very blurry. But yeah, I uh, I think I told you when we were first um, touching base that, yeah, I bought your product and, and tasted it as well. And absolutely delicious. And the kids gobbled them up too, which is always a good sign. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have kids of your own as well? I do actually. Yeah. I've got two little girls and um, they are definitely fans of the brand, although they're fussy about the flavors <laughs> that they like at this point in time. I feel like I need to like create more flavors for them. Because Just for them. We get all the time is that parents bring them into the house because they, you know, really love how clean the ingredients yeah. are and obviously least amazing but they end up like hiding them from their kids because their mm. kids just ransack them and the parents don't get to eat any so <laughs> yeah no you always hot like stash them up high on top of the fridge or something <laughs> exactly yeah how old are your girls uh, I have an eight-year-old and an almost four-year-old oh wow okay cool yeah my son is five and my daughter is three so very kind of similar to yours so in the thick of it hey yeah <laughs> yeah, absolutely. yeah how have you managed to balance entrepreneurship and motherhood I think at times really well, and I think at times not so great, to be honest. It's mm -hmm. been, uh, as is every entrepreneur's journey for different reasons, you know, it's a bit of a roller coaster ride. Mm -hmm. um, 
But honestly, like, I don't know motherhood or parenting without being an entrepreneur. I've never yeah. been an entrepreneur without also having some little kids running around uh, mm -hmm. the office or the facility or whatever. So um, I kind of don't know it any other way. Uh, yeah. My husband also works in the business. Uh, so we're like truly a family business and it's, yeah. uh, it's awesome. Yeah. 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 No, it is. And amazing exposure for the kids as well. You know, I've said it quite a few times on the podcast, but I grew up in my parents' business and, uh, you know, the conversations that you're exposed to, you know, watching your parents and how they behave and interact together when they're working together and how they handle stress and how they have those sort of like hard conversations. And you're exposed to it all as a kid and it really does make an impact on you. And it's something that I've reflected on a lot as I'm, you know, a little bit older now. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like the seeds that were planted in my mind through my childhood absolutely have manifested in, you know, my business and where I am today. And I think it's like easy when you're a parent to forget how impactful those like early years are. Um, Cause you're just going through it, you know, you're in the thick of it and it's a really intense time. And I think, yeah, it's, I mean, not the parents need any more pressure to be worrying about how how impactful these early years are but mm. it sometimes is something like oh yeah yeah like this is gonna really you know probably be something that shapes you know the direction that they want to take in life as well yeah yeah what did your parents do when you were growing up so i grew up uh, in rural pei at uh, prince mm. edward island which is a mm -hmm. tiny island in atlantic canada it's got about one hundred thirty thousand people on it and my mom's side of the family ha is a farming family she's mm. one of 13 kids so i cool. grew up in like a huge like irish catholic family in rural pei very traditional um honestly like pretty poor um that was like my mom's upbringing was was poor farm family firm, yeah, uh, yeah. essentially, to be really frank. Um, and my dad actually uh, worked in retail grocery and ran uh, bakeries at wow. some grocery stores here in Atlanta, Canada. So that's what I say, like, I've got this like really mm. interesting dual sight line as a little kid, you know, going mm. with my dad after hours, because he would take extra shifts, like cleaning the floors at night, and he'd bring me along with him to the Sobeys grocery store. Mm -hmm. And I would be there, you know, like eating chocolate chip cookies while he was mopping the floors just, you know, to spend a little bit of extra time with them. Um, and then spend a ton of my childhood at, at the family farm too. So mm. it's, uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a really kind of interesting, I guess, or different kind of childhood, but one that clearly, you know, like I mentioned, is manifested in this, in the business that I run today. To find you. The food culture is really strong on PEI from what I understand. Like Chef Michael Smith is from PEI mm -hmm. and he's really well known worldwide, I'd yeah. suggest. And, um, and I've worked with a couple of clients um, that are based out that way and harvest oysters. And, you know, mm. the seafood and I know the dairy is really strong over there as well. And I'm sure that's shaped, you know, who you are and the impact on, you know, the food sort of side of things for you too. Absolutely. I mean, PEI, it's like, I feel like one of the biggest tragedies of most Islanders is that we, until we leave, we have no idea, like the riches oh, yeah. that we have access to <laughs> yeah. on the island. You yeah. know, it's just like one of the most beautiful places in the world. Mm. Um, and it took me moving a little bit further away. It took me moving, you know, about a three hour drive away to here to Nova Scotia to realize yep. how special the island is. So we spend as much of our time home at PEI with my whole family because they're all still there um, as we possibly can. Yeah. Have they still got the farm? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we still got the farm. Yeah. My, we joke, my uncle Cecil is the one who now runs it. He's the second of the 13 kids in my mom's family. And we kind of joke that at this point, he's just keeping like 50 head of cows to for pets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was a dairy farm, was it? Uh, it was a, a small beef farm plus, you know, <laughs> obviously we grew 
potatoes and yep. other vegetables um, and hay for local farms. But um, again, like a, a really small little operation. And yeah. I don't think many cows leave that farm these days. I think they're kind of permanent residents at this point. <laughs> <laughs> just They just cut the grass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. It must be pretty awesome taking the girls back and watch them run around the same place that you used to run around in as a little girl as well. Well, here's my complex that I have. So I live in Dartmouth, with, which mm. my, where my husband grew up um, mm. in Nova Scotia. And it's like, a, it's like a, you know, a small town that's right beside Halifax, essentially. So it's got the small town vibes, but it's, you know, essentially part of Halifax. And I just keep having these moments of being like, Jesus, like my kids are townies, yep. <laughs> you know, they're like urban kids. And that's yeah. like so, so different from the childhood that I led. And I feel so my daughter, because we spend our summers in PEI, I signed my eight-year-old up for farm camp last summer oh, cool. in PEI. And she's like, mom, all they do is make me shovel poop. And I'm like, good. <laughs> <laughs> You'll remember this one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I am doing my best to make sure that we spend lots of time at home, you mm. know, and I want them to feel those roots to the islands mm. and to my, my, upbringing as well and yeah i keep reminding my husband andrew that hopefully not too far from now we'll we will move out of the city and yep. uh and, and you know be back in the country because that's that's where my heart lives yeah that's my wife and my dream as well to get out like we we live in um richmond and we live in a beautiful pocket called terra nova and you know there's a nature park just around the corner and we get the kids out every day rain hail or shine and um but Ash grew up in a small town in Ontario and I grew up in a small, well, smallish country town in um, back home in Australia. So we didn't grow up in big cities either. And we want to expose our kids to sort of that lifestyle too, to some degree. Um, so yeah, it's something that we're moving towards too. Who knows what the future holds, but that's the direction we're moving in. Mm. Amazing. So I can imagine, you know, growing up on a farm or at least rural sort of Canada would have definitely had an impact on you, as you suggested. And you eventually found yourself studying environmental science at university. How did that happen? So I knew kind of in my late teen years, like I needed to, you know, fly the coop for a little mm -hmm. bit at least. Mm -hmm. EI is, again, like I mentioned, it's an absolutely beautiful place and it's a wonderful place to grow up, but it's also very small and it has like that, you know, kind of for better, for worse, sometimes I would say toxic island <laughs> mentality, mm -hmm. um, you know, small, small mindedness is a thing that, you know, was definitely a thing even, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, right. So I... Uh, wanted to go to university um, off island and got accepted to go to Dalhousie and um, knew I wanted to do something in, you know, the sustainability space. I've literally been like, you know, since I was a little kid in elementary school, starting like eco clubs cool. <laughs> um, has been somebody that's been very interested in sustainability um, and, you know, eco justice, like those sort of spaces, you know, I even looked at getting into environmental law, but I have ADHD. I can't be a lawyer. I couldn't <laughs> handle the amount of the desk time. Required. Yeah. I was like, I just, I know that this is not for me. I deeply believe, and I want to fight for, um, you know, fight for our planet and fight for our people. But I just knew that wasn't going to be the way that I was going to do it. Uh, so I ended up in the environmental science uh, program mm. at Dalhousie and took like a focus in ecology. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And then in January, 2012, Made Local came to life, but I can imagine there's a whole background story behind that. So why don't you take us through it? So, well, directly out of university, I got a job for the city of Halifax and I, I was really fortunate as a young person to get really great, even like student jobs in my field. Oh, cool. So I worked for the province of Nova Scotia doing like water conservation work. And I worked for agriculture Canada as a teenager, mm. um, in different agricultural, um, 
pilot programs that they were doing. And, you know, I rode around on a tractor for three summers, cutting grass and, and working with honeybees and doing all kinds of cool awesome. stuff. So I had a really great resume coming mm. right out of university of experience. I got uh, a gig right out of university working for the city of Halifax in their like waste diversion department, which essentially is like their recycling and waste management yep. um, department. So I was an educator. I went in there, you know, all green and excited to change the world through encouraging people to divert their waste and recycle more and all that stuff. And it just, um, you know, municipal government is a, a a slow moving beast and mm. full of lots of people who are, who are passionate. And then there's also some people who are, you know, pretty comfortable, don't want to, you know, rock the boat too much. And I just kind of found even in the first couple of years of doing that, I was like, okay, do I really have the potential in this position to impact change? Or do I feel like I'm just kind of phoning it in? And I've found myself phoning it in, in this job. And like, I was 25 years old. I'm like, I'm too young to, <laughs> to be, you know, this disengaged because I have this passion and this, you know, need to um, do something really impactful. And I just knew that I wasn't going to accomplish that in the gig yeah. that I was in. So my uh, girlfriend and I, who was both working for the city at the time, we uh, thought it, we were gym buddies and, you know, we talked a lot about food and love to, you know, socialize together. And we thought, wouldn't it be cool? Or why isn't there something on the market right now that from a snacking perspective, that tastes amazing and also is made with ingredients that like I can actually wrap my head around, mm. right? Because mm -hmm. clearly the energy and granola and protein bar space right now is wild, right? It's one of the most competitive categories in CPG, but it wasn't in 2012. Mm. Um, there was Power Bar, there was Cliff Bar. Kind and, Bar. And yeah, early days yeah. of Kind Bar. Yeah. We were, in Atlantic Canada too, especially where we were, like we mm. don't get like cutting edge natural CPG brands here, right? So we yeah. were really not even seeing, you know, maybe even Kinder Lara at the time. So we, uh, yeah, I mean, I've gone back to the email trail between she and I, and it was literally as simple as her, be, her one of us saying, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we started making snacks and taking them to the farmer's market? And we were, and I was just like, yeah, let's do it. And it was this tiny little, like, it could have as easily been an email that somebody posed and then we just like, Nah. blew by it yeah and didn't think twice over again you know what yeah. i mean like it yeah was i do yeah huge like aha moment um but the aha moment did come i feel like shortly thereafter when we were trying to decide at this time i didn't know the term value proposition but i knew we needed to have a thing right yeah. well, what's our thing right yeah. like you need to have a thing because if you don't you're just you know you're not bringing value to people and it's not that interesting so we decided in the earliest days um because it was also like really um, the local food movement here was really picking up steam uh, around that time. We said, why don't we just see if we can make these bars using as many ingredients as we can get from farmers around us. Yeah. And that was going to be our thing. So that, yeah, that was the genesis. Uh, and it took us a couple of months to come up with some recipes. And then we got accepted into the farmer's market and started showing up um, every Saturday, slinging these bars and, Wow. Was, yeah. And the then beginning. I took, so the feedback from, you know, the customers that were buying the bars was awesome, I'd imagine. And uh, did they give you any feedback that you were able to iterate on so that you could make some early improvements or were you pretty much set with the recipes that you started with? Oh no, we've like the iterations, like we're on V like a hundred at this point cool. <laughs> with local, we've yeah. changed and, and adjusted and, you know, better mm. the product a hundred times over mm. in this many years. Um, but that's the beauty of starting a farmer's market business is that mm. if you show up there 
open-hearted and with open ears with the intention of letting the customers, you know, to an extent, don't get me wrong. You can't listen to every single person's piece yeah. of feedback because everybody has an opinion, but you really need to pay attention to what most people are telling you. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did for those first couple of years. Like, okay, you know, clearly we're paying attention to see what our best sellers are and we can see you know, how people react to our price point. Um, and, and we're just constantly collecting data uh, from these customers. And it really helped us, especially in the early days. Like, my God, we had bars that went out to market that were horrible <laughs> for many reasons, right? We learned a lot about making sure certain ingredients had a certain amount of shelf life and what our shelf life actually was versus mm. what we thought it was going to be. And there was just, you know, so many failures. Mm. Um, but just take that learning experience and pump it right back into making a better product on the next round. And that's how you get, you know, eventually to something that you think you can scale. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you hit the market with the first sort of like um, iteration of, well, the first sort of idea of what your brand would look like as well. And it's probably evolved and iterated just as many times as the bar themselves. Yeah. To an extent it has, there's the business model has shifted a bit, but one thing that hasn't changed um, has been this like rock solidness commitment to sourcing the most ethical and sustainable and transparent ingredients we can get our hands on. Mm. And that, that has not changed. And, you know, I would say, well, now we're doing business with even more farmers and food producers than we were able to in the early days. Um, Mm. And I am extremely stubborn about that. (laughs) And we, even to this day, you know, we think about, um, we think about innovation, we think about new flavors or, or, or full new product lines. And it's always, within the context of what we can access and what is available to us mm-hmm. through the, you know, the network, whether it be geographically locally or through ethical suppliers that we've connected with across Canada or, and, mm-hmm. you know, eventually we'll start working with some really amazing partners in the U S too, but that defines what we create, not the other way around. It really helps to focus, doesn't it? Like having those core pillars that you're not going to waver from really does help to sort of filter ideas through and yay or nay it pretty early. And that Mm -hmm. seems to be a pretty key ingredient of what success or how to define success in a business like yours. It's been a common theme on this podcast and I've heard it quite a few times, but it helps focus Mm -hmm. and it helps clarify ideas. And if it doesn't fit with the mission, it's an instant mm-hmm. chop. It's no. And if it does pass the initial test, it's like, all right, let's keep sort of like moving in that direction. It's a, it's a really cool way to do things. Well, and I'll tell you, it, it absolutely is. And I will say though, there's times, you know, where it like really hot trends in the market. And I say really mm. hot as in trends that I know kind of will come and go within yep. like the matter of you know, five years or something. Yes. Um, when they come in and they make a lot of buzz, and they are in contrast to what the values made with local are. Mm. And we're very steady in mm. what we believe about nutrition and nourishment and sustainability. And, you know, I could go on mm. when a trend flies through that is not in alignment with that. We have to really hold steady because, you know, we start getting um, or we've heard, you know, I'll give you a, real, a perfect example of that right now. You know, zero sugar is a big thing right now. And we sweeten all of our bars only with local honey that I source from a little apiary here in Nova Scotia from Tom and Marianne Whitten. That's cool. <laughs> we've been working with them since day one. They, we met them at the farmer's market and every single bar we've made in Nova Scotia since then has been made with Tom and Marianne's honey. And it's a beautiful food. And I believe that ethically sourced honey is a beautiful mm. 
is a beautiful mm. thing, right? And uh, which is what we source from them. And for us to try and make a made with local bar, we're instead using some, you know, highly processed or imported or whatever, whatever zero sugar bars we've been made of. I don't know. Mm. I don't eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't play in that space, but you know, buyers are asking, what do you have that's zero sugar? And it's like, well, that's not what we do. Right. Yep. And, or the odd customer will say, Oh, these are too high in sugar, even though our bars are lower in sugar than cliff kind, Lara, go macro, et cetera. Um, it's just been something that's been really interesting to like, like I said, I'm really stubborn about certain things. And there's certain things that I just like know that we plant our flag in the ground and say, okay, you know what, if, if there's other brands that want to play in this space of highly processed artificial sweeteners and things, you know, sugar alcohols that hurt your belly and all of these other things, that's fine for them, but we're not going to do that. Mm. Um, And that's just been one example of other kind of things that come and go, but it's, yeah, it's sometimes makes life a lot easier. And sometimes it's like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. You know, it's so easy to be distracted, you know, whether it's something on social media and the way that people are approaching social media and going on to TikTok and, you know, um, yeah, sticking to your lane is really important at times too. And sort of being aware of what the competitors are doing and where the market's at, as you were suggesting, but being like, no, this is, this is what we do and sticking to it. And, um, there are so many entrepreneurs out there that get distracted really easy. So it's cool to see that you're able to stick to your lane. Is that something that you had to work really hard at? Like in all areas of your life? Cause you mentioned before that you've got a touch of ADHD and that is a superpower for a lot of people because it gives energy, right? And if you yeah. can harness it, it's a superpower, but I can imagine it can also allow distractions mm. to potentially creep in. So how have you managed to sort of work with that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as the like, as any entrepreneur mm. you know it is tough to put the blinders on sometimes yeah. it's not compare yourself to what yeah. other brands are doing especially if you perceive them to be doing better than you are right mm. um it's 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 tough right it's really tough but i think you know i it's funny like so i'm happy that i work with my husband in this business we have very complementary skills cool. and um he has been able to like really dial in on a lot of the things that take like like deep focus and perseverance where i i know i know my strengths you know i know what i'm good at i'm good at storytelling i'm good at mm. you know articulating the vision of this brand and creating really beautiful foods like to reflect that um, and that's been something, you know, over the course of the company growing, we've had the luxury of me being able to only do what I really want to do and what I know I'm good at. And thankfully being able to delegate and hire people who are way better at me or than I am at the things that I don't want to, or, or can't do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I understood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we've got an amazing team. <laughs> How big is your team? We are currently 14. Wow. And that is split. We're about kind of four or five of us kind of, I'll say like head office, you know, like Mm. marketing sales in finance. And then uh, the remainder is in our production facility. Got it. And so you've got your own facility too. Yeah. So this has been a big, uh, a big shift for me with local in 2022. So I mentioned earlier, I just kind of uh, touched on a bit about us, our model having evolved over the years. Yeah. Um, and for many years, uh, from 2014, so about two years into the business, I got pregnant with my eldest daughter, Ruthie, who's eight now, and I needed support for manufacturing. So we started working with a couple of organizations, um, that have really unique co-packing model, um, that employ adults with barriers to the mainstream workforce to make our foods for us. 
So it was a really, yeah, really incredible way to scale our business for a million reasons. You know, social impact, of course, is like very core to Made With Local. And we try to create impact in every direction we can. Um, and also, you know, the benefits of working with those small co-packers um, in the beginning was, you know, you're never dealing with minimum order, order quantities. You can be really close to the quality. Like it was just like a very sort of hands-on experience. Mm. Um, but eventually, you know, we started just chronically running into capacity constraints. The business was growing faster than these organizations were able to keep up. And, you know, inherently, you know, they're not for profits and they are organizations who's mandated, who are mandated to create impactful work for adults with disabilities, not, yeah. not to, you know, build a state-of-the-art manufacturing facility Scale. for CPD. Yeah, yep. Exactly. So eventually um, we had, it was actually around this time last year that we were contacted by one of our original ingredient suppliers, um, a little peanut butter company in Windsor, Nova Scotia called, um, oh my goodness, Nutsmith Foods. And they made, and when we were at a farmer's market, they were making our peanut butters for us. And they contacted us and said, hey, Sheena, you know, we're looking at Dave and Connie is the name of the couple. We're looking at retiring. Uh, just ever thought if you, if you're ever thinking about buying a building, you know, we're looking to sell our our building in this little town called Windsor. It's just about an hour outside of Halifax. And I just, at, at that exact moment, I was like, this is, this is it. Because we, we prior to that had looked at buildings like once a year, just, you know, because we would get to these points where things were really constrained and the capacity, we were just bursting at the seams of these other facilities. Um, but it just never felt right. And as soon as we had this phone call from Dave and Connie, I was like, this is the right move. Like it's a, 8,000 square foot facility, but it's in the heart of this little downtown, small town, you know, it's not in a business park. It's in a community. Uh, it's in a residential neighborhood with cafes yeah. and restaurants. It just felt like this perfect full circle moment um, going back to, you know, one of our original suppliers roots. So we bought the building and over the course of the last year, we completely gutted it and turned it into an epic manufacturing facility um yeah yeah right in this little town in nova scotia so we just as of like the last couple of weeks have finally pulled all of our manufacturing out of the other co-packers and are just now starting to to do it all under our own roof wow congratulations that's a huge achievement yeah it's been it's been a lot <laughs> yeah did it take longer than you'd thought to build out the facility we were pretty much on time. Honestly, cool. again, I, I go back to like the incredible skills of our team that we have. We have an amazing team and uh, our COO, Brian, who we hired after, <laughs> I believe the business has been, Made With Local has existed for 10 years. And I feel like over the course of those 10 years, I probably tried to hire this amazing guy, uh, Brian Alloway in the company, like four times. <laughs> it's the time <laughs> it was of right. Yeah. Yeah. He was never, you know, we never had enough, like, you know, meat for him to sink his teeth into and yes. from, cause he's an operator, like an incredible operator. Yeah. And finally, you yeah. know, us saying we bought a factory. He was like, okay, you know, that's like, that's Let's my talk. shit. Okay, yeah. I can do that. He came on and he ran that build and yeah, we were up and running. Like we got the keys on March 31st and we were making bars and the, at the end of September and it was oh, a wow. full gut. Like, yeah. Full and new floors, rebuild. new walls, new ceilings, everything. We built like a deck. We like we built like a loading dock, like everything. The whole thing was done. And wow. uh, it was a gong show trying to ramp into there because we had also around that time just launched into Costco in Eastern yes. Canada. Yeah. And shoppers uh, nationally. So it was, yeah, it was a really intense time. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, we're, everybody's sort of settled in now Good. and the pace is like really manageable. And uh, now, you know, we're just thinking about growth and innovation and it just, yeah, yeah it feels amazing. Now you can get out and hustle and know that you don't have any barriers to the supply. So that's, we always had this, like, I would say, honestly, a culture of scarcity yeah. at Made With Local. Yeah. You know, you would never see it from the outside looking in. Like, it always looks like, you know, we're, like, happy and abundant. But behind the scenes, there was a, there was a culture of scarcity because we knew, you know, there was always going to be a cap to um, our growth. And yeah. that's a thing that, honestly, our entire team right now is, like, actively trying to unlearn those like subconscious behaviors mm. um, of feeling like, okay, we have to be careful because we don't want to, you know, push too hard because then we're going to not be able to fulfill orders because we've, yeah. you know, over indexed the team. And anyway, that's a complete non-issue now. And it's honestly something that our sales and marketing team here is like having weekly conversations about is like, okay, let's like the sky's the limit. And it yeah. feels amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's taking some time to get there <laughs> yeah the analogy could be that like you were like a racehorse just being held back and now you can like let go of the reins and let the racehorse yeah. go that's cool Absolutely. that must be a great feeling what a weight off the shoulders yeah yeah it is it is it's a huge relief and honestly the control of managing your own site and knowing that it's being operated by a rock star group of people it's just so liberating like the sleepless nights I've had over the last 10 years about quality and <laughs> consistency and, and yeah this, oh my god I know for a fact you know it's probably people listening to this podcast right now who probably eaten maybe local bars you know three four five years ago and would have had a very different experience in the product mm. that we're producing today yeah. um and yeah it just feels amazing to know that on the go forward like they're super dialed in and perfect every time yeah. It's interesting. You've been at it for just on 11 years now, or just over 11 years. And it sounds as if you've just come into your own right now. Like it's taken 11 years to build the foundation for you to launch upon now. It's almost like you're relaunching out into the world. It does feel that way. It's so funny you mentioned that Hayden, because I was actually on my LinkedIn today and I noticed like that number on my personal LinkedIn yeah. profile, like, oh, maybe people 11 years. And I was like, oh my God, I should I change that? <laughs> like, I almost feel like you're absolutely right. There was kind of, you know, there was the early beta testing yeah. um, side hustle era, yeah. which yeah. was long. Yeah. Like, we were doing that for five plus years. And mm. then there's sort of this version two of Maple Global. We're still, you know, regional growth and, you know, focusing still on this model that, that was really impactful, but wasn't going to necessarily scale beyond or being a regional brand. Yeah. And now it's, like the last you know two years or so that the pedal is being put to the metal so to speak yeah. um it really does feel that, that way that's amazing that's really important for entrepreneurs to hear because a lot of the people or a lot of guests that i've had in this show are very very starting out very very early on you know they may have mm -hmm. been at it for 6 12 18 months or they may be five years into it and it's important for everybody to remember that there's no such thing as really an overnight success. Like it does take time to consolidate and build that foundation to sort of launch from. And those early years really are, as you suggested, all about testing and refining the business model and finding a way through that'll work for you. But during those early years, what were sort of the key sort of moments that allowed you to keep succeeding? Because it's those early years that a lot of businesses fail and they fold and they go by the wayside. So what was it that kept you guys driving forward and, you know, allowed you to maintain some momentum through it all? It's a great question. Um, 
I mean, support of our consumers and our community is yeah. a huge one, right? Because if people aren't buying your food off the shelf, then you're not going to be on that shelf for very long. Yeah. So I would say that's the number one thing. You know, we're so honored to have a community of supporters and customers here at Made with Local that really believe in what we're doing and they um, love what we do. And that like brand evangelism is very much a thing that exists around Made with Local. And we don't take a second of that for granted. Um you know, and we've, I feel like because we've grown gradually, like I look, there's a lot of other brands out there that have gone, you know, zero to 5 million in two years. And I'm just like, oh my God, <laughs> like I, the, the intensity of that experience is something that I knew that I did not want for myself, especially being like a young mom. And yeah. Stuff, I was right? going to say that. Yeah. Home life. Yeah. And it just wasn't going to be our path. So we've, you know, through those working with the co-packers, the social enterprise manufacturing facilities that kind of forced a very slow growth for us. I feel like, you know, that allowed us to um, keep the stakes low, I guess, you know, we absolutely made mistakes, but we, they were really contained and really controllable yeah. because every big new step that we made, you know, was just ever so incrementally bigger than the one prior to that. Um, so I feel like that, you know, probably safeguard that slow and steady growth for so many years um, made it so that we could we could navigate the lumps mm. and bumps without losing our shirts. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to the sales and marketing side of things, so I feel like we've covered, you know, the production side and working with the co-packer and now you've built out your own facility. So that's sort of the back end. But if you think about the front end of like getting out there and hustling and telling people about the brand and your brand story and your beautiful product. Tell us about sort of like the the road that you've taken there. Like it's, you know, it's one thing to get out and do sampling and, you know, talk to people. And you obviously had those early years at the farmer's market as well, which as you outlined, and it's been mentioned on this podcast over the years as well, that it's an extremely critical piece. Um, but mm -hmm. now that, you know, you've got the brand defined and developed and you've got consistency in the product and you're out there hustling, what have been some of the key moments um, when it comes to sort of your sales approach and your marketing approach that you'd like to discuss? One thing we've learned um, big time in, through COVID was how challenging it is when you can't be out in the community and um, how challenging it was for us whenever there was, uh, you know, many, many months or even, you know, at a certain point, a couple of years that went by uh, where we weren't able to travel and be out in the mm. community all across Canada, right? Because there yeah. was lots of time here in Atlantic Canada where we weren't even allowed to leave the province, let alone, you know, go to Ontario or um, the West coast. So we, I would say like saw some, you know, consequences to that, uh, yeah. not being able to be out at the store, um, meeting with people at the store level and being on the community uh, or on, on the ground in the community. We've, that's been a big setback for us, honestly, but we're coming at that um, full force in 2023. So we're working with some amazing merchandising partners in Western Canada and on well, specifically in the Vancouver area and in Ontario, mm. who are just going out with, and one of their roles right now is really to help us um, flip our new brand into stores because we uh, did a major brand refresh in September 22. That's beautiful, by the and way. Really, really nice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it feels like we finally, you know, are presenting ourselves to the world mm. in the way that I feel like, you know, it really truly represents the spirit of the brand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that those are some key pieces, like our storytelling is really strong in our marketing. Like that's, we're a purpose driven brand. We have, there's so much juice inside of Fade with Local from a storytelling perspective, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we'll continue to be leaning into in 2023. Um, and building that trust and transparency with the consumer is so crucial. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on the marketing side, those are, you know, our really core pillars. And then at the retail and sales side, you know, it's it, relationships. It's so important to be building strong relationships. And that is a major focus for us is just driving depth at retail through um, connecting with people in real life and getting, you know, people to try the product um, because tasting is believing at made with local they really are like a beautifully superior product to most of the competitors in the in the shelf so um yeah that's what we're at it's pretty simple but we're just trying to like you know scale those things and and because we see that even early days like those efforts for us are really working that's cool did you realize when you started out how expensive going into the CPG industry was going to be, especially like getting onto a retail shelf, how expensive that was going to be and, you know, all the little snips of margin that was going to get taken along the way? Like, were you aware of that? And how did sort of that become in, um, how did that sort of like, how did you work through that process? Hmm. I mean, we were warned for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you never feel the pain of it until you feel like the real pain of, you know, until you're in it, there's no way to fully experience how challenging it is until Mm. you are getting those, you know, seven pages of deductions and you're like, oh my God, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. It's really hard. And it feels like small brands are held to the same um, standards as Heinz and Kraft and you know, Pepsi and all of those big ones. And we just, you know, we, we can't play the same games yeah. as these publicly traded corps can. Like yeah. we don't have billions of dollars sitting in shares and cash and everything else. Like we yes. just don't have it. So being really careful has been um, really important. And at times, you know, we just haven't had, this is a, this is a major thing that happens with small CPG brands. When you go into the big retailers is like, if you don't have the the bandwidth on your team to keep a close eye on what's happening, like the rug can be pulled out from underneath you really quick. And that's mm-hmm. a really scary thing. Um, but, you know, again, we have this merchandising team that we've recently started working with and that's um, something that we're hearing from them, even at the store level is uh, how sometimes first in first out or FIFO isn't being followed at the store level. And ultimately that is something that we pay for, you know, yeah. Um, store isn't doing their job of merchandising appropriately we ultimately pay the price for that through us having to refund them for the product when already you know they've taken 40 points or 40 percent margin on the product yeah anyway i could go off on a big old tangent there but i will i will not uh but it is it's been really hard and um the number one thing you have to do as a small brand is just make sure that your mar- margins are t- like tight not tight they're locked in and they're yeah. they're cushioned yeah. <laughs> you need to make sure that you have the starting margin to survive and weather the storm because if you're starting with 20% margin like you won't you won't you can't do it yeah you can't do yeah it. yeah so I guess there's a couple of ways to approach pricing you can go from like a top down and look at what your competitors are pricing their product and sort of know that there's a glass ceiling as to sort of what you're capable of asking for mm-hmm. and then there's the bottom up approach of like, you know, starting with your cost of goods and then sort of, you know, adding on everybody's margin until you arrive at a place where you're comfortable at selling your product. What approach did you take? I mean, I would say kind of a combination of the two, right? Mm. You kind of have to find like the, I don't know what the diagram is, the circles that meet in the middle, you know? Venn diagram? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, you kind of got to find that sweet spot, right? And yeah. that's essentially what we've done. Yeah. Um, and it's, it varies for different vendors, right? Mm. Or different retailers have, we will, you know, there's slightly different margins based on the scale and the opportunity and, yep. you know, 
costs and all of these things, but they're mm -hmm. all, you know, within a window for us. Um, so I would say we, we kind of take both approaches. Yeah. Yeah. Have you line priced all of your SKUs as well? Um, do you mean they're all the same price? Yeah. Have you line priced like all of your seven flavors or are they individually priced based on cost and so on? No, they're all, all the same. Yeah. 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 Everything. yeah. I mean, our average price right now at a retail is like the 349 range, 299 to 349 is where we're at. Yeah. So it's a volume based game for sure. Hey. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah. we've been at that price point for years. We did not change our prices at all through COVID. We yeah. have at, at all, we've gone in and, you know, as the big retailers will, that doesn't matter about inflation or anything else. They want more deal spend year over year. You can't yeah. spend less one year than you did the last year on offering discounts or um, promotional pricing. So it's slippery slope. Um, yeah. And we're, we're, cautious and mindful yeah. that we again, can't play the same games the big guys do, but yeah. also be competitive because we're yeah. in a really competitive category. There are some geniuses that work in this space. Like you just jump on LinkedIn and everybody's so giving of their time and advice and so on. But have you leveraged any mentors or advisors or, you know, any small organizations, you know, more locally that have helped you navigate this sticky path? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, oh my goodness, we've had so much support from friends and mentors and, and, you know, peers as well. Yeah, like yeah. there's, I have a handful of amazing entrepreneurs in the CPG space in Canada that I can literally like pretty much pick up the phone. Um, cool. and they're just like, yeah, what do you need? You know, it's just such a giving community. Mm. Um, sometimes you need advice. Sometimes you just need like an ear <laughs> or a shoulder <laughs> yes. to cry on both yeah. of those things, you know, I'm yeah, yeah. so to be able to access and and hopefully also be be giving as much as I can in that space um, yeah because yeah it's a it's a bumpy road at times it's important to know which one you want whether it's advice or just somebody to unload on <laughs> that was a really <laughs> critical moment in my marriage when I realized that yes. my wife's not asking for advice she just wants to unload and just me listen and so now I ask I'm like are you looking for advice right now or are you looking to just talk and have me listen and like as soon as we define that it saved me a lot of trouble and it saved her a lot of trouble as well, because now we're both on the same page. It's really good. And I'm sure it's the same we've in business. Done the, we've done the exact same thing in my, in my marriage and, yeah. you know, also a business relationship. Where yeah. Like, do you want me to fix it or do you just want me to listen? Yeah. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say like eight times out of 10, I just want them to listen. Yes. Yes. Right? I've learned that too. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. It's important to know. Like, I just, we just spout off for a few minutes and then I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was more always more inclined to try and give advice, but that just didn't work sometimes. It's not what you were looking for, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, very cool. Hey, listen, um, we've covered a lot already, which is really great. So thank you for being so willing to share your story. But if you had the opportunity to go back to before you started with the knowledge that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? The advice that I would give myself would be to get really clear on why you're doing this. Yeah. You know, what is, what is your why, which is a bit of a cliche, but it's like been the North star for me as an mm. entrepreneur leader in this business and also for our brand and business. Um, it's so important to know who you are and what you stand for and who you're serving, you know, who, I mean, again, I guess it's product market fit. That's not yeah. a revolutionary concept, but it's so crucial to like have a really good sense of those things. And also, you know, in the early days, if you find that those things, especially the, you know, who your customers are and what you're offering are resonating with people to be open to listening and, and, and shifting. Mm. Um, 
that would be my advice uh, for sure in the early days. It's yeah, it's it's a wild game to get into, especially now in 2023. But it's there's some really cool new brands that are coming out with beautiful products, and I'm just yeah stoked to welcome them welcome them to the community. It is exciting to see the constant sort of like evolution of new brands coming into the competitive space. But, you know, you just mentioned defining your why and sort of being very clear on it. Is it something that you like physically sat down at a desk and like wrote it out or you drew it out or how have you sort of like committed to it so that then you can, you know, further communicate it internally and externally as well? Like, and how have you kept on um, the process of evolving that in that space as well, and then managing to, you know, once again, implement it and communicate it. Yeah. Oh, I've absolutely done a ton of like personal work to get to these things because in the early days, you know, your business is you, whether you like that or not, it is a, a, a commercial manifestation of your values. Yeah. Um, and, it for me has evolved over time. You know, I'm, I'm 37 years old now. I was 26 when I started this company. Like my life has changed a ton. Um, but, but the, the DNA of me with local has not changed the, how, how it's evolved and manifested in the world is slightly changed. Um, you know, honestly in sort of in a reflective way to what my stage of life was. Um, but, but yeah, it is, it's personal work. Mm. It's, it's not, you know, especially if you, like so many people are doing now looking at building a brand that has some sort of um, impact component to it, uh, which I think, you know, I've said it a hundred times before, if my business didn't have this community connection and impact moment to it, I would have totally bailed <laughs> a thousand times by now, because if this is just ever about the money, it would have, the, 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 the stress and the intensity of it would have never been enough to keep me in it. Yeah. Yeah. But having that deeper sense of connection and and purpose in this business has been my fuel. And it's been something that I've kind of needed to feed on a regular basis to ensure that, you know, we were, we had, we had the fuel um, Mm. from a brand and energy and vision perspective to keep growing. Yeah. And I feel like that's where being a B Corp is a really good fit for you. Like it just, Mm. uh, it encompasses everything that you're doing. And it's also a really great way of, um, you know, to benchmark yourselves against other businesses and hold yourselves accountable um, too. Um, In my prior job that I had before I um, landed this one at Foodpack, I was working as the food service sales manager at Salt Spring Coffee out here. And food, and um, Salt Spring is a B Corp. So I'm very familiar with um, the organization and the program and how it works internally. And when I saw that you're a B Corp, I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and we're in like the very like tail end of our second uh, recertification right now. And it's, cool. yeah, it's something that I'm really um, stoked to be sharing with the world again, hopefully soon, just in time for B Corp month, our, our new recertification score. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of work into it this year. Yeah, a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of work. I don't <laughs> think people realize how much work goes into becoming and maintaining your B Corp sets. Yeah, it's it's legit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Now, if we could fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? Oh my goodness, that's a juicy question. I I we're very close to profitability at Made with Local. We've done a ton of investment in the brand in the last few years, and that is going to be, and, and it is a major milestone that we are well on our way to achieving in this fiscal year. So I'd say like that is going to be a, an incredible moment. Um, and, you know, I, I had this moment at our team Christmas party a few weeks ago. We had it into January because December was so crazy for us. Yeah. Um, 
where we were sitting around this big, huge, long table and it was the whole team and their partners were there. There was like 30 of us at the table and, you know, a bunch of them were talking about since they started working at me with local only a few week, uh, months prior, you know, several of them are in the process of buying their first home. Um, one of them proposed to his girlfriend over the holidays, they're getting married, yeah. you know, like there's the people who've recently joined this company feel so safe and, mm. um, and, and secure in, in this new job that they have, which is, you know, more than a job, I think, but, um, seeing the impact, you know, of course, maybe local has always been impactful and focused on sustainability impact and, and, and impact through food, but seeing the, the ripple effect of connection that's being that's taking place now around our new growth and our manufacturing facility mm. and, and the growth that will continue to happen there um that's just incredible i was like just like sitting there kind of in tears because it was i wasn't expecting to have this like aha moment sitting yeah. at that table but it was just a really beautiful moment so you know looking back a year from now i hope that you know we've got a team that continues to thrive and that you know we're profitable and we are bringing more beautiful foods into the world than ever that's like that's my happy place well it doesn't sound too far out of reach it's not no not at all <laughs> well congratulations on all of the success and like i said before thank you so much for being so willing to share your story um just before we cut out of here i did want to mention your beautiful branding and one thing that i have been doing is asking people if they'd like to give a shout out to um, the graphic designer or the media uh, the team that has developed a rebrand so did you want to give a shout out to anyone Oh my goodness, yes, our amazing branding partners. Uh, we're, there's an agency uh, called Pulp and Wire. They're based out of Wire. Portland, Maine. Okay. Yeah, they're they're an incredible agency. We chose to work with them very for a fairly specific reason. Um, they are based in Maine, which is very close to Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah. Although you know, in the U.S. across the border. And yep. just across the border, and they're an incredibly um, renowned female founded and led agency, um, with largely a female team. And I loved that they both had, that they had this sight line on the roots of made with local geographically, you know, they're on the Atlantic mm. ocean, just like we are feel culturally very similar, but they, but at the same time had access and sight lines on the U S CPG market. Mm. So, you know, there's this kind of duality there that was yeah. really important to me. And they absolutely crushed it. I'm so thrilled with where the brand has landed. Um, we're just a couple of weeks at this point away from getting our new website up and running as well, which they've also designed for us. And right. yeah, we're just, we're thrilled to have worked with them. It's yeah. been an amazing time. Fantastic. Well, listen, um, I'll definitely put a link down to um, their website in the show notes for everybody to scroll down and check out. Um, because yeah, it is really cool when you can find an agency or a design team that is just absolutely knocking it out of the park and that you can potentially touch base with for everybody else out there. So thank you for sharing. And if anybody wanted to get in touch, Sheena, and um, you know, have a chat with you or learn a little bit more about what you're doing, what's the best way for them to go about it? Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn or on Instagram. I'm still, you know, pretty hands-on with our marketing. So feel cool. free to DM us on uh, at me with local on Instagram and TikTok. I'm usually the one who's doing silly things over on TikTok and, uh, or find me on LinkedIn, Sheena Russell. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much, Aiden. Bye. 
So that's it for episode 114 with Sheena Russell. Now, if you have any questions or comments from today's episode, the best place to go is to LinkedIn where I post up each week's episode on my profile. Just scroll on down into the show notes and you will find all of the links in there. And if you have any questions around what I can do to help you with your packaging or packaging equipment at Foodback, like I said at the start, just scroll on down. You'll find my uh, email address and you can shoot me an email and we can take it from there couple more requests to finish off please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review like i said that just means everything to me and i guess the other thing that's important is that if you know someone out there that you think could benefit from the show you should give them a nudge and tell them about it and i'm sure that they'll enjoy just as much as you do so that's it for me thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week with episode 115 with jennifer henry from perkigo 